Tonight I have promised to speak to you upon the subject of what happens to men at the second coming of Christ. And uh, that text presupposes certain things. The first presupposition is that the Lord's coming back. That text definitely assumes that we believe that the Lord is going to return. And uh, our basis for that is the promise that our Savior made himself. And when we begin to talk about the second coming of our Savior, we are confronted with the fact that the church has believed in this, and it has been a part of the message of the gospel from the beginning, because our Savior, who was here, departed, and before he departed, he told us that he would return again. And after he ascended into heaven from the top of the Mount of Olives, the disciples were staring and gazing into the skies, and the messenger came back and said, Why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come again in like manner as ye have seen him go. Consequently, it has been a part of the faith confessed and part of the message proclaimed for 2,000 years that Jesus Christ would come back to this earth. And the churches that have lived close to the Bible have been churches that have lived in this anticipation and in this hope. And just now, around the world, in all these various areas where the churches are staying close to the Bible, and in all these various areas where the churches have taken a stand for the word against the apostasy, there is a dominant emphasis upon the return of Christ. The Christians in Korea are anticipating his return. The Christians in India, and we'll be with them now in about two weeks when we go again to South India to Kerala, they sing of the coming of Christ, and it is a great hope. The Christians just a year ago, a little over a year ago, whom we met in Africa and East Africa and West Africa and both sections were singing of the second coming of Christ. And you can't go to any real Bible church today that's a part of the great struggle to preach and to defend the faith, but you will find this emphasis upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again. He will return personally and we will see him face to face. Now, this great declaration is a part of the tremendous uh, presence of the supernatural in our Christian faith. And as I have been emphasizing in these evangelistic messages, you're either saved or lost. You're either in the kingdom of the devil and under his discipline, or you're in the kingdom of Christ and you're a servant of his. There is no middle ground. You're either in the devil's camp and under his dominion and uh, he's your master or else you have been translated out of that kingdom over into the kingdom of God's dear son and you have become a child of God by grace. I've tried to make these lines very distinct between those who are uh, lost and those who are saved. And it's this language which is scriptural you find it in the Old Testament, you find it in the New Testament, and the language tells us exactly the condition in which we find ourselves. But when you come to this whole question of the Christian faith, 
and God's movement in history as he came to the children of Israel, you are dealing with the supernatural. God has entered into the course of history, and he's come here in order that he might give us the message that our hearts longs to hear, the message of life everlasting. Now, what I have been emphasizing and what I want to keep emphasizing is that if you're going to be a Christian, let's be one. If you're going to accept what Christianity has to offer, let's accept it all. Let's don't take it piecemeal and tear it to pieces and try to say, I like this and I don't like that. We take the entire revelation. God has been pleased to give these things unto us. Let's accept them. Let's believe them. Let's rejoice in them. Let's not be ashamed of them. And if you're going to be a Christian, let's be what a Christian ought to be and not be ashamed of it. Let's not try to get mixed up half and half with the world and the devil's crowd. Let's get over with the Lord's people, identify ourselves with them, and not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be a Christian, we accept the virgin birth. If we're going to be a Christian, we accept the miracles of our Lord. If we're going to be a Christian, we accept his word and everything he had to say about Moses and about Noah and about Adam. Jesus Christ knew what he was talking about. And if I can believe him for my salvation, I can believe him for my edification. If I can believe him for my redemption, I can believe him for my resurrection. If I can believe him for the sacrifice that he made upon the cross for me, I can believe in him forever and never go wrong and never be troubled. It is our faith and great peace have they which delight in the Son of the living God. And what I'm concerned about in these great meetings in which we've been in, that you people who call yourselves Christians will be the kind of Christians that the Bible will make out of you if you'll just follow the teachings of the Word of God. Don't be afraid of Christ and what he can do for you. Don't be afraid of the Word and how it will work in you. Don't be afraid of the Christian faith. Take it all. Rejoice in all that God has given us and then let's go out and live it and suffer for it and if need be, die for the name and for the honor of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when you come to preach this gospel and to tell sinners they're lost and that Christ saves them, when you come to preach this message that's been preached for 2,000 years, it hasn't changed. It hasn't been added to. And we're not trying to conform the gospel to our day. We're trying to conform our day to the gospel. And it's the wages of sin which has brought death to this race. And the only hope for us is a deliverance and a redemption. Now, beloved, when you look at Jesus Christ, here he stands on the stage of history. He entered by a stupendous miracle, a birth without a human father, a virgin birth. This was predicted in advance. He lived a life of tremendous power. He gave sight to men who didn't have eyes when they were born. He gave speech to those who couldn't talk. He raised Lazarus from the dead, Jairus' daughter from the dead, the widow of Nain's son from the dead. He had power to speak and open the graves. Our Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples that he would be betrayed and that they would crucify him and that the purpose for which he had been sent down here by the Father was that he might redeem us. And the Son of Man, he said, came to seek and to save that which is lost. 
And then he went to that cursed tree and he died the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And the whole ministry of his life and his death and everything he did was to the end that we might come into the knowledge and into the fellowship of the true and the living God. And this is possible only through Jesus Christ. The third day he was raised from the dead, as he said. And then after he was with his disciples for more than 40 days, he went up to the top of the Mount of Olives, and then he went up into the heavens. Supernatural. A birth that was supernatural, a resurrection that was supernatural, an ascension into heaven that was supernatural, and he told us that he would come again, and he said it would be in the clouds of heaven. And tonight we accept it all. We believe it all. We offer it all in the name of our blessed God to those who will heed and hear and who will believe and then who will live the life of faith and the life of victory which Christ has for us. Beloved, I stand here tonight. We take the whole Christian faith as God has revealed it to us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and here it stands. Oh, beloved, I must insist that you take it all. I must insist that you accept what God has been pleased to reveal to us because God has given it unto us, but the secret things he's kept for himself. But the revealed things are for us and for our children. Now that we've established this great fact that the Lord was here and he made a promise that he would come back, I want to ask you the question, what will happen now when he does come back to man? What is going to happen? Well, we have to make a distinction, you know, again. Every time you get into these questions, you have to make a distinction. You have to make a distinction between what's going to happen to the believer and what's going to happen to the unbeliever. You have to make that distinction. You can't preach the gospel without it. And the whole purpose of the preaching of the gospel is to tell men the present condition in which they find themselves, to tell them exactly how they're going to be uh, treated in, in the ages that are before us, and then offer to them the message of salvation and deliverance. You can't preach the gospel without making these distinctions which the Bible makes between the lost and between the saved, between the believing company and the company that does not believe. And every person within the sound of my voice, no matter who you may be, if you're listening to Carl McIntyre preach the gospel tonight, you are either a believer and know it and delight in what I'm saying, or you're an unbeliever and you're listening to me and wondering, and maybe you have doubts, maybe you have questions, but you're at least listening to me, and you know that you certainly don't believe what I'm saying right now. So whoever you may be, you can decide for yourself which company you're in. You can make that decision by the knowledge of your own internal thinking and your own internal heart in relation to these great things that pertain to eternity. Well, so far as the believers are concerned, what is going to happen? Well, at this point, the Bible is just as clear and plain as anything could ever possibly be. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, the believers in him, those who are in those bodies still are in the grave, will be raised. And those of us who belong to him, we shall be caught up to meet him in the clouds, in the air. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, 
but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians 15 I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Here are the ones that have passed on and they're asleep. The Bible describes death in these terms. The body has been laid to rest. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others who have no hope. Here are two groups, one group with hope, the other group without hope. And he says, I don't want you to sorrow like those who have no hope, for if we believe, and here you run into this believing business again. Every time you turn around, it's believing, believing, believing. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Oh, how beautiful Paul lays that out for us. By the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede, and literally it means go before, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, hallelujah, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What's going to happen when he comes? The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, beloved, if you don't believe that, you just tear it out of your Bibles. There it is. It's all through the Holy Scriptures. It's called the blessed hope. It's the blessed and glorious promise that God has made that he will come back and raise the dead. And when he comes back, if we're still alive at that moment, we'll be caught up into the clouds and we won't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death and we will not have the experience of dying. The generation of Christians who are alive when the Lord comes back will not have to die first before they can see him. They'll be translated in the twinkling of an eye into his presence. No wonder the ungodly look at us and scoff and say, what's wrong with that bunch of fanciful dreamers over? That fellow's a kook. That fellow's kooky. There must be something wrong with that fellow. That he's actually believed that he's going to be changed so quick that he'll get up there uh, quicker than even Cape Canaveral or Cape Kennedy, I guess they call it now, could send anybody up there. But that's it. And I believe it. And I've told you tonight, if you're going to be a believer, believe it all. Take it all. Rejoice in it all. So far as the believers are concerned, we're going on to be with the Lord. and It's all over and we're with him. And my, what a triumph. And nothing would please me better than to have him come before I finish this sermon tonight. My, what a delight it would be to go to heaven preaching the gospel. Wouldn't that be an experience, to go to heaven preaching the gospel? What a joy, what a privilege that would be for some preacher. One of these mornings, I may be in the middle of the 20th century Reformation hour, and the, the program will go dead. Charlie and I will pull out. We'll just leave. We're just going to go. We'll take off. And when you talk like that, they look at you and say, what in the world is the matter with these people? Let's send them down to Lakeland and get a psychiatric examination or something else. That's the way the world looks at it. 
What are you going to do about the others that aren't saved? What happens to them? Well, one thing is certain, they're left here. They don't go. They're left here. Will you turn with me to Matthew, the 24th chapter, verse 37? But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, this is Christ talking. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. And here is the statement of our Savior that one will be taken and the other left, two shall be sleeping in a bed, one shall be taken and the other left, two shall be riding in a car, one shall be taken and the other left, a company shall be gathered together and one shall be taken and the other left. Well, please tell me what's going to happen to those who are left. What is going to happen to those who are left? and are taken out in this time of glorious rapture that we've just described to you. Well, the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us that after the believers are gone, the ungodly will have it all to themselves down here. It'll be their work. They'll have it all to themselves. And that there will develop upon this earth a time of tribulation and suffering the like of which there has never, never been before in all the history of mankind. In the 21st verse of this 24th chapter, then shall there be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, I'm going to develop this picture of tribulation for you tonight, and it's going to be a dark and dreadful picture that I'm going to describe for you, and as you see the world as it's shaping up tonight, we're heading into that picture in a very definite way. But before I do it, every once in a while, some fellow with some good imagination and love of the scripture decides he wants to write all this experience up. And you have these papers that these, you've probably seen them about the Lord coming and the news events and the thing going to happen when one is taken and the other left. Well, here's one that's been put out just recently by some fellow out in the state of Missouri. And uh, here's the headline, Christ Returns, Millions Missing Around the World. It's written in newspaper style, you know, like you'd pick up the newspaper after some big catastrophe had taken place. Some ship had been wrecked or some... Uh, great earthquake it hit something and listen to this quote at 12.05 last night a telephone operator reported three frantic, frantic calls regarding missing, missing relatives within 15 minutes all communications were jammed with similar inquiries 
A spot check around the nation found the same situation in almost every city. Sobbing husbands sought information about the mysterious disappearance of wives. One husband reported, I turned on the light to ask my wife if she remembered to set the clock, but she was gone. Her bedclothes were there, her watch was on the floor, she just disappeared. An alarmed caller from Brooklyn tearfully reported, My husband just returned from the late shift, I kissed him, but he disappeared in my arms. Less than 35 minutes after the first call were received, a well-known television executive took to the air with the first explanation of the mass midnight kidnapping. He asserted that the strange disappearance of many people last night was a biblical prediction that suddenly exploded in fulfillment. In determining uh, syllables, or rather in determined syllables, he spelled out what he called the rapture of the saints. Jesus Christ has returned to this earth and taken his Christian people as his bride. It has been forecast for centuries. My mother spoke often of this day. Imagine some television reporter getting up and talking like that. And then you turn over to some of these other little stories that they've got in here. Listen to this one. Many graves found open, bodies gone. Shortly after the news broke last night that Jesus had come, thousands took to the cemeteries looking for the bodies of loved ones, most of them in the cemetery, who found empty graves where they mainly uh, were there mainly because of a Bible verse they had heard. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And uh, then here's another story. Uh, hundreds trampled to death during revival meeting. Little Worth, Texas, reports 63 persons trampled to death when over 3,000 people tried to rush from the civic auditorium at the very height of a revival service last night. The Reverend Forthright was reading his text, In an hour that ye think not, then shall the Son of Man come. Right before the eyes of thousands, the minister suddenly disappeared. The choir disappeared, at least most of them, while two-thirds of the congregation disappeared. <laughs> if you want anything to separate the saved from the unsaved, just let the Lord come. The lines will be there. They'll be there. That'll do it. Listen to this other one. This is rather dramatically written up, but, beloved, this is exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. Teenagers mob demolish $5 million church. A swarming her horde of screaming teenagers totally demolished the first church of social action on Broadway this morning. Fourteen youths were killed in the melee, and nearly another 75 were critically injured. The action was set off around 2 o'clock this a.m. at the very height of a midnight prom sponsored by the church. Nearly 500 teenagers were on hand for the festivities. At exactly 12.37, a teenager rushed into the hall and headed straight for the podium. Grabbing the mic from the, uh, from the performing rock and roll singer, he blared out a startling message that fell like a ton of terror on every person. Grasping for breath, he screamed, Something terrible has happened. People are missing all over this part of the country. I even called my house. There's no answer. My mom is a good Christian. She told me not to come here tonight. She told me Jesus would come when I didn't expect him. I know Jesus has come. One teenager who was at the dance later reported, quote, the whole place turned into a pu public scene, a panic scene. Everyone was screaming and crying. They pulled the chaperone up front and made her tell them what was going on. It was pitiful. She just stood there white and pale and shaking all over. She passed out just when one of the church deacons came in. 
He was shaking and all the kids began to pull at his coat. He was dumbfounded. One of the boys took the mic and started to preach. He said he knew, he knew what happened. He, he used to be a good Christian. For almost 15 minutes he told them it was true about Jesus coming back to the earth. He told them it was too late now to do anything so they might as well dance and have a good time because they would all land in hell no matter what happened next. The dance did not proceed. Instead, furious teenagers, enraged for what they called a cheating church, fled from the recreation hall and into the main church auditorium, tearing down drapes, ripping up the seats, breaking windows, and cursing teenage, the cursing teenage mob set a fire to the building and ran out of the street yelling and taunting, We want the truth! We want the truth! Then here's another one. Gigantic bonfire of sex books on Times Square. At four o'clock this morning, an elderly gentleman was seen angrily tearing down his newsstand on Times Square. After tearing the stand, the party proceeded to pile every magazine and sex book on top of the wood. He poured gasoline over the heap and ignited it. When asked why he was doing it, he tearfully said, I'm burning all this trash so that maybe God will have mercy on my soul. I've peddled this junk for 25 years, and I know it has ruined the lives of thousands of young people, but maybe there's still hope for me. It's kind of realistic, isn't it? One shall be taken and the other left. Two shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken and the other left. Two shall be sleeping in a bed. One shall be taken in the other left. For in an hour that ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And they'll scoff and they'll mock and they'll say, where is the sign of his coming? And those of us whom they call the fundamentalists, you know, who believe in fighting for our faith, will all be gone. And won't they be happy to get rid of us? Won't all these liberals in the Philadelphia area be happy that Dr. McIntyre pulled out last night? No more problems with WXUR. No more problems with all these things that are upsetting everybody. Won't it be a sensation? But beloved, that is exactly what the Lord said was going to happen. That he would come again and he would come for his own and his own would know him. And when he speaks, we shall know him. When his voice is sounded, we shall know that this is the Christ who hung on the cross of Calvary. All right, you dear people that are left down here, you're going to have a hard time because when we go, the Spirit of God's going with us and you're going to have a world down here that'll have this marvelous materialism and this marvelous secularism and you'll have all this marvelous program to bring in peace and unity and world brotherhood and everything else without God. And that crowd didn't want God anyhow and so they're going to have the privilege of doing their job without him and without the people of God around to hinder them or to have any influences upon them so far as any restraining work is concerned. Turn back to Matthew 26, where the, the 24th chapter, where the Lord Jesus Christ says that there will be a tribulation, the like of which this world has never, never seen again. Now, turn with me now to the book of Revelation. Begin with the 6th chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, beloved, I want to tell you people who are listening to Carl, Magna tonight, Carl McIntyre tonight that I think that we have in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation the descriptions of these times of tribulation that shall come upon the earth, that the Lord says nothing like it has ever occurred before. Now before I get into the details of this time of tribulation, 
that the ungodly are going to have to go through, and they're going to be in it. I want to remind you that the Bible does speak of the tribulation for the believer. The apostle said we must all, we must enter in through tribulation into the kingdom. And the believer has a tribulation. We must be patient in our tribulation. I'm telling you, beloved, if you want no trouble, just look at the problems that you have every day. Something else comes on top of you. Troubles, 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 troubles. But the Lord is with you. And you're patient in these tribulations. And the Lord undertakes for you. And you know that God's going to turn these things into his glory. And the Christian has tribulation. But what I'm talking about here is not that kind of tribulation. It's the tribulation that God sends in judgment upon this ungodly world and the ungodly who rejected his son and the believers have been removed and we've been taken home to be with the Father. All right, now let's turn to the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. And here you have this section, you have running through this part, the scenes in heaven where the redeemed are singing. And oh, how they sing the great songs of redemption up there. And then the scenes that are taking place down here on this earth during this great time of tribulation. Notice verse 12. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of her of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty winds. Now, beloved, when that day comes, when the stars begin to hit this old earth, you know, every once in a while we have a little crater out here with some meteor fell on us, you know, and there's a few evidences at the very poles where maybe there was somebody thinks that we used to have another moon up there and some of that fell upon this earth. And men have made a few uh, studies about these things. But this says that there's going to be an earthquake and the stars of heaven shall fall unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And beloved, when the rain from the heaven begins to hit this old earth, these scientists will have something to talk about. And here's a declaration that it is going to happen. Now, I don't know whether you people have ever been through any of these big hailstorms or not, but I remember when I was a boy out in Oklahoma, we used to get hail as big as hen eggs. I don't know whether you know what a hen egg looks like around. I guess you do down in the Vineland area. But at least you great big old white hen eggs. And I remember as a boy when we used to have some of those hailstorms out there. And believe me, they just went right through the roof and they trimmed off the leaves of the trees and they just skinned everything alive when one of these hailstorms hit you. Well, beloved, this isn't going to be a hailstorm. This is going to be a something infinitely worse that's going to fall down upon this old earth in this time of awful tribulation. Now, will you turn with me, please, over to the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation. And in the 8th chapter, down around about the 7th verse, the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees were burnt up. And all green grass was burnt up. Would you kindly tell me how you'd like to live through some kind of a visitation from the heavens when the hail begins to fall and the fire comes out of the heavens and one-third of the trees get burned up and then all the green grass is burned up? How'd you like to live through that ordeal? We need some peaceniks to help us out, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be something? To live through an ordeal. That's what it says there, one-third. One-third. A little further, verse 9. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. 
Down verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of the heavens, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the angels which are yet to sound. Turn over to chapter 9, will you please? You know, when Jesus Christ said he was going to be raised from the dead on the third day, he was. And when this passage talks about these terrible woes that are going to be pronounced upon the earth during this time of tribulation that Revelation describes here from the 5th chapter on through until the 19th chapter, all this section. You know, beloved, the old devil's discredited the Bible in so many minds today. We can't take it literally. It's myths. It's figurative. Why has he done it? Why is the devil discrediting the Bible in the public mind? And why is the devil getting everybody to think that they're myths? So they won't read these things and believe them anymore and be disturbed about anything like this ever happening. That's why he's doing his best to take the Bible out of school, to take the Bible away from the children, take the Bible away from people so they won't read it and understand something of what's being said here. But imagine one-third part of all the life that's in the sea. My goodness, all we need is just a good storm down there and then all that dead stuff washes up on the beach in Atlantic City and you've got a big stink for a week down there. But if one-third of everything died in that sea, what kind of a stink would you have across the world? Imagine living through conditions of that kind. And that's what we're having described for us here in this passage. All right, in the ninth chapter, turn over to the ninth chapter, if you will. And in the ninth chapter, we have another situation that develops. And there came, verse 3, out of the smoke the locust upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And then you have a big description of what they're going to do. And if you come down to verse 6, And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire death, desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shape of the locust were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were the faces of men. Believe me, if you think you're having trouble from flying saucers now, wait till these locusts come down here with the faces of men and start stinging and spewing their fire at you. And their hair, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek uh, tongue hath its name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there comes two more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, I heard the voice of four horns of the golden altar, which before what is saying, the sixth angel, which hath the trumpet, loose the four angels. And then we have the story in verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. You know, they tell us today that the atomic bombs are going to destroy great sections. If they've got a bomb now, that will destroy all the United States and the Russians have got a bomb. And when I hear this coming to me out of the atomic scientists and they tell us all the power they've got right now, and then I look and think of a thing like this in the book of Revelation, you tell me that's a myth. 
You tell me it's not possible right now through the atomic release of atomic destruction destroy great multitudes of mankind? It is tonight. And I stand here and read you from the Bible and this has been in the Bible for 2,000 years. And now we've come to a period in the history of the world where we know man has the power to destroy great multitudes of mankind by the atomic destruction and by the hydrogen bomb and by the cobalt bomb and these other mighty bombs that man has in his possession right now. And this passage says that only one-third of the earth is going to be destroyed. But at this time it's going to be some of these locusts with all these breastplates and fire coming out of them. How'd you like to live through that? How'd you like to go through that experience? You know what I told you people a while ago? That if you're going to be a Christian, let's believe it all. <laughs> let's take it all. Let's see what is here. And I want to tell you tonight on the authority of Almighty God in all heaven. The book of Revelation has been told everybody you can't understand it. It's a lot of tales you're not supposed to understand. And that's what the devil's been telling the church all these years. So people wouldn't read it. And they wouldn't read this account that the Lord's going to take the saints out. And then there's going to be a period in where they're left. And all these things are going to happen on the face of this earth. And one third of the flesh in the sea. And one third of the flesh on the earth. And one third of the men that live upon this earth. They're going to be destroyed. How do you think the undertakers would take care of one-third of the human race in that sort of a debacle? Imagine the confusion that there is to be ahead. Do you know, beloved, when you stop right now and think of what happened up here in New York City when the lights went out, you remember they had some sort of a miscarriage? Nobody knows what it was yet, I don't think, with the, uh, with the powers up there in, uh, in Niagara or somewhere else in New York. And New York City had a power, a power failure and everything was gone. The elevators were gone. The lights were gone. Everything was out. And you know the confusion that took place. And we're getting things tied up right now that somebody could go right down here to Camden, pull that big switch and take control of it, and our lights would be out. Your refrigerators would all melt, and you'd have soup all over the kitchen floor in 24 hours. And you know it with everything melted. And we are organized so right this very minute that power can come in, and that power can be used to completely dislocate our social order at the present time. You know it. The men in power know it, and we're building up a mighty system here which can just be taken, and hundreds and thousands and millions of people will be thrown into physical suffering in short hour. And you know it, and I know it, and we recognize it. And the Bible says that when we're taken out and the Lord is go has come to take us away, and then the human race is here to work its way out, these judgments are going to fall, and these calamities are going to come upon it, and man's going to cry for the hills and the stones to fall on them, they're going to seek death and they won't be able to find it and you're going to have suffering the like of which we have never seen before and Jesus said there will be great tribulation on the earth such as has never been seen or heard of before well will you turn with me over now to the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation and in the 16th verse down toward the end we have another section here and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon and the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell 
Wouldn't it be something to see New York City just topple with an earthquake? And great Babylon came to remembrance before God to give up under her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of her wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. I think that's enough. I don't want to tell you any more about it. But when the Lord comes, he's going to take us out. And the rest of them are going to be left here. And we have this period that the Bible calls the tribulation, the great tribulation. And it's going to continue for a period. How long? There may be some question about that, but we generally think that Daniel's 70th week vision gives us a key to it. And you're going to have rise in that period, this great world ruler, this great dictator of Revelation 13. Daniel describes him for us. He's going to be the man of peace. He's going to be the man of unity. He's going to abolish war. At least he says he's going to. And you're going to have this mighty, powerful, satanic-inspired leader as he is described in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. He'll have complete economic control, complete political control, complete military control. He'll have complete control of everything that takes place on this little shrinking earth. And ladies and gentlemen, I submit tonight that with the means of communication which we have, both in transportation and in mass media of speech, it would be very easy for one man to rule this world tonight. Very easy for him to do it. I submit. And when I stand in the presence of what's happening about us in the political world and in the social world and even in the religious world and I see these mighty currents swirling and moving and tying everything up the stage is set beloved and I tell you tonight if the Lord Jesus Christ would come tonight and take us out of this place into his presence not only would our enemies be happy but they could go ahead and have all their program of humanism and they could have their world dictator and they would have their peace and their unity that's what they have and then it's into this area that the Bible tells us about some of the great things that are going to happen in the midst of that tribulation. And then how these judgments are going to fall. And at the end of it, of course, you have this great battle of Armageddon. The greatest battles yet to be fought, ladies and gentlemen. And I was so thrilled when General MacArthur made that treaty over there in Japan and he spoke of Armageddon, Armageddon. And these men that talk about world peace, there isn't going to be any, beloved, not with man's heart like it is now. And when we come to this great tribulation period with the judgments of God falling above men, their naked hearts, their evil hearts, their wicked hearts, their brutal hearts, that's going to determine their relationships. There won't be any love. There won't be any love. That's just ahead of this whole world, beloved. It's just down the road, a few hours distance from here. That's all it is. And I want to tell you, dear people listening to Carl McIntyre tonight, if you're not saved, if you're not ready to be caught into the clouds to meet your Lord because he redeemed for you, tonight is the day to accept your Savior and put your trust in him and find out that you are his child. 
I'm not talking tonight about eternal judgment in hell. Yes, that's coming. That's out there beyond. I'm talking about what's going to happen to man on this earth after the redeemed are caught into the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the rapture. That's the rapture. Oh, let me go a little step further with you. Oh, I must tell you this. You can't leave a subject like this. You know, you get into it, you just can't leave it. You just have to keep going on with it. You know, when Carl McIntyre goes and our International Council of Churches goes and all our men in Kerala meet us up there and all our friends in Africa meet us up there and everybody from South America meets us up there, this crowd that wants to put together this great big church with all their God is dead theologians in it, they won't have any opposition. They're going to have the nicest time. And they're going to say, well, here, we can go ahead now and let's put our great church together and have this great world church. We'll have this great unity. And, beloved, do you believe and do you understand that after we've been taken out, they're going to listen to this Antichrist and this Messiah who's going to come? And sometimes I think when you see a man like Castro with his beard, you know, and he's supposed to be like Christ, and sometime when I see Hoffman's head of Christ and everybody hanging it around everywhere, when this Antichrist comes, he's going to look just like that. He's going to be like a Castro, and he's going to be like this, and the multitudes are going to say, he is it, and he's going to have this supernatural power, and he's going to bring signs, and they're going to say, this is it. And millions of men are going to be deceived by this spirit of Antichrist that the Bible tells us. And then you're going to have this great world church but you know, beloved, you come to this 13th and 14th chapters and then you move to the 17th and 18th chapters and you have this woman who is the ecclesiastical system riding on the back of the beast, which is the political system, and here's the church and the state working together. Here's the state sustaining the woman. Here's the woman guiding the church. It's all right there in Revelation 17 and 18. The principles are there. The stage is set. But you read down to the end of that chapter there, beloved, in the 18th chapter, and in one hour is the judgment of that great ecclesiastical Babylon come. The political leaders are going to turn and say to you men up here running this great super church that you've had to build. You've misled us. You've misdirected us. You don't know what you're talking about. And in one hour, the political power which the church has trusted is going to turn around and destroy it. And that's the picture you have there in the latter part of the 19th, or rather the 18th chapter of the book of Revelation. And then when you come to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, you have that marvelous scene of the Lord himself coming with the armies of heaven. He gathers his elect together from one end of the heavens to the other. And here they come and we've all been with him. And now we come in what is called the great unveiling, the apocalypse the revelation of Christ and at this time he returns to the earth and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives and he's come to tread the winepress and the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God and he's the one who is the victor in that great battle of Armageddon. Let us pray. <clears throat> o Lord our God, our Savior said that there shall be tribulation the like of which has never been heard or seen from the beginning. And we see even now these tremendous forces which man has at his command which could bring such tribulation in themselves. We see it. Lord, thy word is living. 
It is so prophetic. It is so glorious. And we believe it all. Oh, Father, be with those who are listening tonight. And may some sinner take Christ tonight. Amen. And now, beloved, I want to say just a word as we come to the close to those of you who are listening in the radio congregation, wherever you are. You never heard a sermon like this before. You never heard a preacher get up and tell you these things about what's going to happen when the Lord comes and he's going to take us away. It's going to happen, my friend. Just as certain as he was here the first time, it's going to happen the second time when he comes. It's, it's just ahead of us. And I beseech you tonight to put your faith in Christ to accept him as your savior and say, Lord, I have sinned. I know it. I believe. I trust you. And my friend, it's the simplest thing in the world. There's nothing in all the world that equals the acceptance of Christ. Just take him. It's up to you. You must make that decision. And when you make it, it's all settled. It's all done. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Will you believe, my friend, out there in the radio uh, congregation? If you believe, write me a letter and tell me. Write us, please. Carl McIntyre, Collingswood, New Jersey. And we'll be of any help to you we can. 